Let's hear some of that movie chat. Credits roll by and I tip my hat. Credits roll by, I wanna know more right away. Let's have some of that movie chat. Credits roll by, tell me who did that. Life in the credits is where I wanna play. Welcome to Life in the Credits. This is the show where we learn about movies by chatting with people who work in the industry. I'm Susan. And I'm Ben. And today we're going to be discussing the film, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Yes, and joining us today is our special guest, co-producer and writer of Jesus and Mero on Showtime, Josh Gondelman. Hi, Josh. Hey, it's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. We're very excited to chat with you today. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about what you do, Josh? Sure. So... I am a television writer and producer, and currently I work on Jesus and Marrow on Showtime, and we're on twice a week, Thursdays and Sundays at 11, and it's a lot of, like, current events-based stuff, cultural commentary. A lot of this show is very improvised by the host, Jesus Nice and the Kid Marrow, but we write sketches, and, and I work on the edit of the show, and there's interviews, and before this, I wrote for Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, which is a lot more straightforward, like, writing scripts for John and then he would rewrite and the writers would other writers would add jokes. Uh, and this job that I have now is a lot more hybrid, like writer producer stuff. Cool. Yeah. So what are some projects you've worked on besides Jesus Samaro and last week tonight? So those are my two big like writing jobs yeah. in in the television industry. And before that, I my first first job that I ever did was I did a tiny bit of freelance work um, on Billy on the Street uh, oh, in an early yeah. season, which is very exciting. I felt like that he was just a teeny tiny, like two days working from home. Yeah. But it felt so exciting to like do something in TV where I'd just been trying for so long. And I was yeah. like, maybe this isn't uh, uh, all in vain. So that was very exciting. And then, I mean, currently I do a lot of stand-up comedy. I have a comedy game show podcast called Make My Day, where there's one contestant who always wins, a different contestant every week. Yeah. I've written books. I have an essay collection called Nice Try. And before before I was doing that really professionally, I taught preschool. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. The classic preschool to late night comedy writer. Right. Really common (laughs) funnel for our career path. Yep. No, I imagine did working for a preschool, did that help your comedy? Did you get any material from that? I mean, I got so much material out of it. And it was also like so helpful because it was like I wasn't as good at writing then as I wow. am now. And the kids would just do funny stuff all the time. <laughs> it was so helpful that as part of my act I could be like the kid did this and here was my reaction and like (laughs) and it was like it scaffolded my act for like the first couple years yeah they were like your first writing team yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) I had kind of a writer's room of four-year-olds and I paid them in uh in juice and graham crackers (laughs) (laughs) that must be a tough crowd yeah tough crowd I mean they're they're tough in some ways but easy in others Mm -hmm. because it's like you can um you know, there are certain things you can do to amuse a room full of kids. Yeah. But just uh, like if you say poop, you're going to kill <laughs> 10 times out of 10. At lunchtime and nap time every day, I would like make them up a story. I would like oh, create okay. a story, I would take suggestions and kind of like improvise like a uh, like a getting ready for nap time story. And so it was like, you know, it was in, in a it wasn't like a direct one to one skill correlation between the two jobs, yeah. but it definitely like 
it was helpful in that sense. And I liked doing it. It was really a fun job. And so yeah. when I left at the end of the day, I was tired, but I wasn't like, oh, I hate everything. Mm -hmm. And I'm so I can't believe I have to spend all day doing this. It's like, well, somebody's got to watch those kids <laughs> 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 and teach them stuff. You know what I mean? I think so. I think so many people kind of their survival jobs is something that's less are, are something that's less satisfying. Yeah. And so you kind of get like pent up all day and I I like had good days and then I would go oh now I get to go have dinner and then do the thing that I really really want to do which is yeah. tell jokes yeah that's, that's cool awesome. so what was your past so you were you were teaching mm -hmm. uh preschoolers yep. and then um how'd you get into comedy and then eventually writing so I was already doing comedy by the time I was teaching full time. I, I had been in, in like summer programs and stuff like I had worked at summer programs throughout the end of high school and, and summers during college. So I worked with kids, and, but I started doing stand up after my freshman year uh, at Brandeis and then was doing sketch and improv on campus and, and a little bit off campus. And then uh, when I graduated, I was kind of like going to get just like a job, like any job. Yeah. I, you know what I mean? I was like, well, time to get a job and like wear a tie. <laughs> and my mom, who I had worked for, my mom was the for a while, the a long time, the director of a small uh, independent school. And I worked oh. for her in the summers. She was like, nice. why don't you just get. Yeah, it's great. She was like, why don't you just get a job teaching you? You're good at it. You like it. And you can go get because you have a bachelor's <laughs> degree. You just have to take one child development class at a community college and you're like certified because you have the classroom hours already. I was like, oh, that sounds way better than just like, I don't know, like, uh, working at a bank yeah like, counting dollar bills like I don't know what like I don't know what I thought I was gonna do but I was like <laughs> I'll work at a bank and uh and so I started doing that and I was already doing stand-up in the in yeah. the evenings um, several nights a week and I really like doing I like doing stand-up I still do it mm -hmm. but I figured being in the Boston suburbs where I was living and doing stand-up in Boston the opportunities to participating comedy like full-time professionally were not abundant where I was so I thought I'll move to New York I'd already I'd also been tutoring on the side okay. so I was like I'll move to New York I'll stop uh classroom teaching I'll ramp up my tutoring hours so I can make enough for rent and then I'll kind of piece that together with like some stand-up on the road some stand-up back in Boston hopefully make inroads in New York so I moved to New York tutored got pretty low on funds because I was like this will pick up soon and it yeah. didn't so I like ramped up the tutoring hours and when I moved to New York I started like submitting little humor pieces to places on the internet like McSweeney's and the New Yorker and and, and then when people were seeing the stuff I was writing and asking me to write for other outlets and I was getting paid a little cool. bit I was yeah and it just like kind of grew from there which is very exciting mm -hmm. and so at, I moved to New York in summer 2011 it's been almost 10 years and then at the end of 2012 i had kind of a viral parody twitter account that i co-created with my friend jacqueline moore go hugely viral literally overnight and it kind of like it went from like oh i'm on like i'm getting these occasional opportunities yeah. when somebody thinks of me to like oh people some people know me from a thing and they'll think about me and a little bit more often. And yeah. so uh, that started to kind of multiply the opportunities that I had. And I, I just like really I applied in from the end of 2012 to the beginning of 2014, applied for writing positions at uh, like 20 shows, including Billy on the Street, where I worked a little bit and then uh, just a bunch of other late night shows. And I was doing like original 
sample submission material for every show, which is the the process. And then I got hired at the beginning of 2014 to do the social media digital web writing for Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. And and then after a year there, I was working in I, I they moved me over to write for the TV show. So, yeah, it's this is a kind of a long version of like yeah. I kind of like there was a lot of doing just like a bunch of stuff in in total obscurity and then now i um i get to write for really great people and work yeah. behind the scenes in partial obscurity <laughs> <laughs> the dream yeah. it's an upgrade yeah what less people get mad at you when you're in partial obscurity <laughs> oh that's that's a, perfect well we are really enjoying your work john oliver's show and jesus and marrow are so funny yeah, they're great. Jesus and Mary are the best. They're, and John is the best. I mean, like, really, I've I've had the good fortune. And, like, even dating back to my first job, I think, like, what Billy does is so funny. What Billy Eichner yeah. does is so funny and specific. And, like, he kind of, like, changed the, the like, person on the street, the man on the street genre and yeah. made it, and, like, kind of blew the lid off of, like, what it had been before. And so, like, right. I've had the good fortune to write for, like, really funny, distinctive um interesting you know interesting people with like strong voices and stuff i've been very very lucky yeah that's very very cool yeah so can you tell us your process for writing jokes or sketches for these different tv shows you work on yeah so for Jesus and marrow it's a little bit more it's a little bit more driven by like totally blue sky like Hey, whatever you want, pitch it and see if it works. Mm-hmm. Um, and see and see if the Jesus Romero, if the hosts will be interested in in shooting it. Um, but then there's also like, okay, what's in the news? What big cultural events are happening? Pitch stuff around that. Um, and 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 sometimes it's it's tied to like celebrity guests. Like we have this guest. What's a cool thing to do with them? What what's like a sketch or a um or a piece out in the world that we can incorporate them? So that so starting there and just thinking of like what taking that kind of input of like what's happening culturally, who are the guests, and then going like okay now how do I filter that through the lens of like what Jesus and Marrow like to do want to do think is funny and so for for our show it's a lot of like writing up just kind of the broad beats of like they go to this place they comment on this thing here are some possible jokes here are some other situations to put them in the props we need like really figuring out like what what this looks like and then they improvise a lot and then I work in the edit with an editor to like refine all the footage we got to find the stuff that like hangs together the best and works most cohesively when I was writing for John Oliver it was a lot more tied to the news of the week and it was you know it was a lot more like reading hard news looking at footage to to make sure that there's stuff for uh, to like kind of tell the stories that are in the news so that John wasn't just reading the news, you know, yeah. that he could react to the news footage or the the other contextual footage and, and, and then writing a lot of jokes, a lot of alt jokes. It was a lot more like kind of um, you sit at a computer and you and you like write the script. And then once he edits it, that's how he says it on television. Yeah. And and so, yeah, I think I think like having those kind of two different like very different experiences Mm -hmm. and and for several years each has like kind of rounded out my education and late night comedy writing. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Yeah, because they're just the response. My responsibilities are so different and the and the way the show is shot and edited is so different, which is like really cool. It's like yeah. cool to go from from one dream job to another dream job and, and get to learn super different skills. Yeah, that's so interesting. They're both so funny in their own, you know, distinctive voices. For sure. Did John do a lot of improv or did he mostly stick to the, no. to the script? I mean, there would maybe be one or two sentences of improv per episode if that and now and usually that was something that he would think was funny and would say at the rehearsal and would get a laugh and he would go on to you know maybe or or just something reacting in the moment yeah. if there if there was like a specific audience reaction because of how dense that show is like, right, with, yeah. like because of how um structured it is they would go in you know and the the assistant director and script supervisor uh, Jeremy Hardwick who's great uh would go John I need you to like give me 30 seconds back because we're, we're knowing how long the script is and how much footage we're rolling in we're gonna be about like 30 seconds long so we need, you need oh. I need you to give me 30 seconds John will go yeah sure and he would just talk 30 seconds faster so oh it was God. like yeah it was it, like he would just get the show into the box allotted and then with Jesus and Marrow it happens the other way where they improvise so much and are so extemporaneous and so much of the show is generated in the taping and then shaped in the edit. And so totally. Yeah. And so I work, I work on that with, with a couple of other producers and a couple of editors, Julia Young um, is kind of the kind of quarterbacks that, and yeah. my boss, Mike Palasic and, and Suzanne Fagel, who I work under, they're very just like, really, it's a really great team. And it takes like, it's like a, the the part the stuff that happens after the shoot is much more rigorous on Jesus and Mara than yeah. it was on last week tonight, where they would just kind of fix some graphics and then it would, you know, be largely ready to go. Wow. Yeah, that's wild. How how much is edited out? So how much improv do they do? They, you know, to give you guys a bunch of options for which take you want to use. They do a lot. I mean, it's not really takes necessarily right just yeah they just sort of go right. right we don't like have them do the same stuff yeah. over and over again. right they they go and then we cut it down so like it might be i i would we shoot we shoot pretty long because sometimes there are whole stories that we cut because we're like oh this other one was just so much better so we yeah. we shoot for probably about an hour for like a yield of like 20 minutes and yeah. and sometimes there's plenty of stuff that that could go in that does it but it's like our show is you know whatever 28 and a right. half minutes and so yeah, we just have to find the best, most uh, cohesive 28 and a half minutes. Yeah. So how is the process different for late night versus stand up versus writing an article for something about like McSweeney's or books? Yeah. So I think the biggest difference is with television, there's there's not only a format that you have to hit, right? Like it has to be producible with a specific turnaround and it has, you know, and then a specific length yeah. um, and you're writing in someone else's voice. I think that's yeah. the big one. So like I'm writing for Jesus and Mero, I'm writing for John Oliver. And so it's only really useful if it's something that they would do. Like if, yeah. you know, it doesn't matter how brilliant a script someone writes, not me, someone more brilliant than me, but like, you know, I'm, I'm just a guy, but like, it, it doesn't matter if, if you wrote Citizen Kane, it's like, you can't have put Citizen Kane on a late night right. show. It's too long and it's not, uh, in anyone's comedic voice. So like the, the idea of those, those factors are kind of like the, the, not limits, but like the parameters of writing right. for TV, yeah. I think is a better way to put it. And then for other stuff like McSweeney's, um, you know, pitching articles to, uh, to essays to other places, writing a book, it's like really only bounded by 
the what someone you're pitching to will accept. And there are like, I don't know, I've written like a pretty wide swath of yeah. things for different places. And then what you want your own voice to be like the boundaries that you put on yourself and stand up is kind of the ultimate version of that because you get on stage and you just say the things that you think are funny and and if and then you try to get the audience to agree and and, and even if they don't you keep doing it people get mad but you, <laughs> <laughs> you can i mean you can keep bombing they they, they allow that uh yeah. <laughs> for, for a period of time until you stop getting booked if you're writing something for uh new york magazine or whatever you still kind of at the um, discretion of like what your editor wants to commission and what they'll what what they like about the specific piece and there's a little push and pull there but like so with and, and with my book it was you know I still worked with an editor my editor Stephanie was great um, and is great but ultimately that book was like very in my voice and then stand up again it's like if something doesn't work but I like it I can keep doing it I probably shouldn't but I can <laughs> that is an option that I have <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting being stand up being the most, you know, ultimately the most free form of yeah, comedy, yeah, you know, totally. for, for your own, whatever you want to do. Yeah. yeah. And, and then sometimes you even perform for free. And so that um, <laughs> that kind of rounds it out, which makes sense why, you know, I have other writing jobs. <laughs> <laughs> That's a factor, I'm guessing. Yes. For sure. I work regularly, yeah. but it is, I think like, it's just such a, um, you know, writing for television and part of a union, which is really mm -hmm. helpful. I have healthcare benefits through that and, yeah. uh, that are durable and portable from job to job. And, you know, which, uh, is, is very fortunate. I think mm -hmm. like a lot of people who work in, in different fields, like don't have that. So, so I don't take that security for granted. Yeah. And it's also, you know, like if I just was doing stand up full time, I think I would, it, it's a, it's a tough life even when you know because even when you're doing it at kind of the highest level of like touring big theaters or stadiums yeah. it's still like you're on the road away mm -hmm. from your family a lot you you know be, when you're touring big venues and people are paying a lot of money to see you you have to turn over that material quickly yeah. because if you do the right. same thing if someone pays 60 you know 50 60 100 dollars to see you at a theater and you do the same show twice they're not gonna come back a right. third time so like it's it's a real it is a a it's not an easy um, professional life, even though it is very fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. But I mean, Josh, you found a lot of success in your writing. In fact, you've won multiple Emmys. That's so, true. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what is it like to win an Emmy? Oh, it's, um, I'll tell you what, it really, it's great because your parents, uh, get to tell their friends and their friends stop asking if you're still doing that comedy thing. Um, that's like one of the best parts. It's pure um, validation. Yeah. Pure validation. It's no, it's very exciting. I mean, like I got into writing because I like to write jokes and I like mm -hmm. to make stuff and, and I like writing for television in part because I like being part of a team and making something that's bigger than what I could create on my own. And that's a big and so anything above and beyond that is just like extra sprinkles on top of the Sunday. Yeah. And it helps like when you're working on a show that is thriving, it helps you feel like you have a little more security in your job, a little yeah. more security with the show. Like the show is not going to just go away if people are watching it and, and, and recognizing it. Fantastic. So what advice do you have for people who are interested in getting involved in television, either writing or producing? I think the the biggest two things, and this might sound so basic, 
make stuff that you're proud of and then find places to show it off. Yeah. I think those two things you kind of have to do together because some people just do one of them or some people do zero. And yeah. that's very <laughs> tough to thrive doing that way. But like <laughs> other people, I mean, you and you can't do just either like the, And again, this is so basic. But like if you make stuff that you love and then just leave it in a drawer or whatever, yeah. or you're doing it for like very small audiences and don't branch out or share it with new viewers or listeners or whatever, then you're going to have a hard time kind of jumping to the next level of like getting to work for bigger audiences and, and more complex and, and involved productions. Cause no one's going to see what you're doing. Yeah. But if you're just like, I gotta be putting stuff out there all the time, 24 seven content, then like that stinks because yeah. it's like, you're going to just do a bunch of junk that you don't, care about right and 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 either it'll be bad and and nobody will like it or it'll be something that's not great and then that's the kind of stuff you'll get asked to do right like if you do stuff you're not proud of and and it gets an audience it's like guess what people are going to try to hire you to do more stuff you're not proud of yeah (laughs) because that's what they know you for doing so like i think really especially especially when you're working um just like for your own development and benefit, mm-hmm. do the stuff that you like and then see if it finds an audience. And then yeah. if you're having trouble with that, like maybe listen to that kind of audience feedback of like, Oh, I need to um, adjust some things I'm doing, but, uh, but you know, having your own voice and vision are really helpful because if if you don't, if you're just like, Oh yeah, I, I do a perfect replica of someone else's style. It's like, yeah, we already have that other person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, uh, Mike Berbiglia, I believe I heard once say that it's like a negotiation between you and the audience. You're like, I think this is funny. And they're yeah. like, we're not there with you. And then you like take a step towards them and see if you can draw them the rest of the way towards you. And I, I think about that all the time as like a a guiding principle of like, do the thing that you like. And if it doesn't work in the form that it naturally takes when you do it then you go okay how do i make this clearer how do i make mm-hmm. this more inviting or who do i what audience do i seek out where th- they like this thing that i'm that i'm making fantastic um and then final question do you have a favorite moment or like just a moment where you're like i can't believe this is my job and what i get to do every day um from your career at any point? oh my gosh um I mean, I feel so fortunate. I've gotten to do so much really fun stuff. But like a moment that always sticks out for me is after my first year working at Last Week Tonight, John was going on tour in the off season doing stand up. And I was like, he was doing New Year's Eve in Boston, which is where I'm from. And I asked, I was like, would do you have an opener for those shows? If not, would you consider letting me open these shows? I'm going to go home and visit family anyway. So I got to. His crowds are great, just like amazing stand-up crowds. It was at this theater, the Wilbur Theater in Boston, which is like somewhere between 11 and 1300 seats. Yeah. But it's like really tight. Like it doesn't go far back. It just goes like up yeah. so that cool. the people, yeah, it's just like a really great hot room for stand-up, when, yeah. especially when it's full. And right. I got to do four sold-out shows, thanks to him. I did not sell out those shows. Um, <laughs> they were sold out before anyone knew that I was there. Um <laughs> And on the last show, it was like 10 o'clock before you know, 10 o'clock on New Year's Eve. Yeah. And I said, I got up on stage and I said, you know, this is New Year's Eve. I, I this is so wonderful. I feel so good being here. I'm from here. I moved 
Um, I, you know, I, I don't live here anymore, but this is it's so special to be in my hometown, uh, doing, doing these great shows. And I'm so grateful for this. And everyone clapped because I was pandering. And <laughs> then I said, all that said, I do want to make it clear. I moved to New York city about three and a half years ago because I wanted to be happy and successful. And, <laughs> and then the audience booed oh, no. <laughs> and I said, no, uh, you can't boo facts. You can leave. Goodwill hunting isn't science fiction. You can get out. And, uh, and then they booed more, which oh, is very God. gratifying. And then I get into my act and like the next, like the first real bit that I do gets a big applause. And I said, no, you don't get to uh, cheer. You decided you don't like me and you have to live with that. <laughs> and John, John was very funny afterwards. He was like, you know, I really love when uh, he said, he goes, that was very funny. He goes, I love when a person sees what the audience doesn't like and then keeps doing it. <laughs> just leans into it harder. And I just felt so, it was just so fun you know it was like so fun to like lose them and then bring them back and that john was like that's pretty funny yeah. and it was just like a very i i think very funny it's i love like those shows but that one specifically like awesome. i don't remember any details of the ones where they didn't boo me <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's get to our featured film. Today, we're discussing the 2000 film, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? It was written by the Coen brothers, and it's based on Homer's epic poem, The Odyssey. It was directed by Joel and Ethan Coen and stars George Clooney, John Turturro, Tim Blake Nelson, Chris Thomas King, John Goodman, and Holly Hunter. It was nominated for two Oscars and two Golden Globes, and George Clooney won the Golden Globe for Best Performance by an Actor in a Motion Picture, Comedy, or Musical. So, Susan, can you give us a quick breakdown? What is this movie about? Yes. Like you said, it's loosely based on the Odyssey. I actually recently read an interview with the Coen brothers where I guess they didn't actually read the Odyssey. They just knew a bunch about it. <laughs> um, but it is loosely based on the Odyssey. You So you'll meet the Cyclops, meet the Sirens, you meet the Lotus Eaters. But it takes place in rural Mississippi during the Great Depression. So I think 19, late 1930s, I think, is when this, actually, this story is actually taking place. And it follows Ulysses, Delmar, and Pete, who are all members of a chain gang, and they're all chained together. Ulysses convinces them that they have to escape, and he does that by promising them a piece of a supposed fortune he has hidden that he stole from an armored car. We later find out that's not exactly what is going on, <laughs> um, but we do get to see kind of all their misadventures, the odyssey that they go through, the obstacles they face, the monsters they meet, and it's really, really fun. It's really, really fun depiction of that story. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And Josh, you picked this film for us to talk about today. Why did you pick this one? I loved it so much when it yeah. came out. It was, I think, the first film I owned on DVD when we got a DVD player. Nice. I watched it. I remember seeing it in theaters with like one group of friends and then demanding that other friends come see it with me again. It's like the only movie that I've ever been the catalyzing force for seeing twice in theaters. Like, so, you know, I saw like Jurassic Park once with my grandmother and then once like at a birthday party or something. But like, <laughs> but like Oh Brother Where Art There is the only one where I was like, I saw this and I need to see it again right now. It's I love the Coen brothers. Mm -hmm. It was probably the third Coen brothers movie that I saw. Mm. I loved I love Fargo. Yeah. The Big Lebowski is still maybe my favorite movie. Oh, it's so ever. funny. 
It's so funny. It's so weird. But oh, brother, where art thou? To me, there are like a couple moments that probably, you know, in the past 21 years have not aged super well. Mm -hmm. But I do think overall, I remember seeing it and thinking like, this is a movie for all audiences like it's not it's like adult and literary sort of yeah and it's but it's like fun and weird and it's it's like like it strikes me as like a perfect first piece of grown-up entertainment for Mm -hmm. like a precocious 9 10 11 year old that's how I thought about it coming in it's rated pg-13 it's like a much more family friendly than some of the other Coen brothers stuff which I also love but it's it just feels it's like so warm and funny like my family will still say we thought you was a toad toad. (laughs) yeah and like still I mean like 20 years later and and there's just like so many moments and I think the things that the Coen brothers do really well is they just make everybody really interesting like Mm -hmm. there's nobody that's just like and then this is the regular guy yeah you know what I mean like in all their movies all the characters you meet like have their own thing going on. And I think that's so so it's just like bursting with stuff to like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and Oh Brother Art there is, is no exception. And so I loved it as kind of like I, I was like a kind of nerd uh, as a kid, kind of a twerp. And so I liked the kind of literary aspect of it. Yes. I love that it's just so much fun. The soundtrack, it's one of those movies that kind of like a lot of the plot hinges on like how good a song is mm-hmm. yeah and it, and the song stands up man of constant sorrow yes uh which like the song has to be good right for yeah. for the to like kind of catalyze so much of the plot but like all the little character performances are great john goodman um charles durning holly hunter is very funny and kind of like mm-hmm. limited screen time uh steven root is really great yeah. as the record producer yeah just like demonic yes yeah so those are that's my pitch for this movie if you haven't seen it it's yeah i love it i recommend it so much mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and it all the characters like you said are so distinct and they play off each other so well yep um but, but the comedy in this movie is phenomenal every yeah. scene has such a good yep joke to it yep um and it moves it along too mm-hmm. i think this movie is what only like an hour and a half yeah i think it, it's under two hours yeah it's shorter than i thought 107 yeah. minutes it's just, mm-hmm. and, and it, it's like kind of epic in scope but yes. really moves along and 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 it's also i think when i saw it it was kind of during george clooney's ascent to like leading man maybe yeah. just right. after he had kind of ascended from like to like handsome beloved television star to like Hollywood leading man. And I found this performance so charming Mm -hmm. and and he's like slick, but in a fun kind of grimy way, like he's kind of a con man that that's always having bad things happen to him. It's just, he's so lovable in it he's like a lovable dirtbag he's so lovable and every scene he's obsessed with his hair yeah and every single scene for dan man yeah, yeah. Dan, it's just <laughs> he's so committed so many lines that have been in my head just those little things where he's like they're trying to go on the road and they're at a mechanic right and they how long does this take oh two weeks well how long for this two weeks and he goes uh place variable geographical anomaly yeah. two weeks from everywhere <laughs> and he's like trying to get the, he's trying to get the pomade for his hair the dapper yeah. dan it's like it's so yeah so specific like there's just so much going on and, and right and all the characters have their own like little weird 
ticks. It's not just like three identical guys on the run. It's like three guys with like a defined dynamic that have different desires and different appetites for this kind of adventure. Mm -hmm. And and it's just really, yeah, really great. Yeah. I mean, I love any movie that's classified as a crime comedy musical. That's a great category of movie that I don't see enough of. Definitely. There aren't many. Yeah. And I love them. And it absolutely is. I mean, the music drives this movie and it's so good. Yeah. I also love, speaking of the literary references, this is a spoiler, but the scene where they defeat John Goodman and Mm -hmm. the spears coming toward his eye. I was like, oh my God, this is it. And then that wasn't it. And I was like, oh my God. It was such a good fake out. It's so it's really cool to see when you pick up on those references to the Odyssey and how they work them in. Because in the Odyssey, they blind the Cyclops. That's how they escape. And you think that's what they're going to do. But then, of they course, really the, lead up to that. the Coen brothers just, twist it. It's so satisfying to see those references work. Yeah, it's very fun. And it's mm-hmm. but it's not like so faithful that you're no. like, oh, this is like a kid's primer on right. the Odyssey. Like it's creative and it's its own story mm-hmm. and it's got its own whole feeling and texture that's different than the kind of like epic heroism of the odyssey and like and even at the end right there's i don't think this is too much of a spoiler it's like you can spoil it um, (laughs) you know at the end of the odyssey i'm not not spoiling the odyssey that's been around uh millennia so i'm not too worried about (laughs) that if you haven't read the odyssey by now that's on you (laughs) but you know he he returns home and like fights all the, yeah. his wife's suitors, which which happens in this too. But it's mm-hmm. right. It's also but it's less triumphant. And he's still like there's that that beat of like, but did you get my pen yeah. in the roll top yeah. desk? And he like <laughs> has not completed this like little <laughs> domestic task that was his charge. And it's yeah, it's just like so it's like undercut with humor the whole time they're not like we're making the 300 you know Mm -hmm. they're not like trying to be grandiose and epic but there is this like real this there is the scope of the odyssey without kind of like the moral and triumphant grandness of it yeah and you also have this terrifying villain in the marshal who's only in yes. like two or three scenes yeah he's hardly in any of it yeah um, and you can see like the fl- i can still think of flames right. like kind of licking in his sunglasses right with the dog he's very fearsome yeah, yeah absolutely terrifying. chasing them down and in the, the end they're saved by an act of god questionably <laughs> or yep. you know just good timing yeah it yeah. depends who you're listening to yes this is like no it's just science you know they were gonna they were gonna flood the valley and they flooded the valley yep, this right. has nothing to do yep. with god <laughs> such a good moment but uh, there's yeah. so many good jokes in this and the, the one that really stuck out to me was when they meet babyface nelson and mm-hmm. they're in the car chase and the police are after him and he's yeah. shooting at them and then this horrifying moment that susan is like oh no yeah. where he starts shooting the cows the cow. yeah but then you oh, go to yeah. the end of the movie and the mob catches babyface nelson and they're about to take him off to be executed and then at the end of the mob is a cow mm-hmm. like marching for justice yeah yeah and yeah it's so funny babyface nelson yeah it's so fun there's just like so much stuff that happens mm-hmm. and like that again very reductive but it's just like i don't know i i there's like a a bigness to the the fun of the movie but if you know what i mean there's like yeah. so many big comic set pieces and like outsized characters but it really holds together Mm -hmm. yeah it doesn't just feel like a collection of sketches or like right like it like it gets it spirals out of control like it all feels very in control but like every moment is like interesting and fun and yeah Yeah, even the governor uh characters are both really Mm -hmm. is it pappy 
Pappy uh, O'Daniel from the Pappy O'Daniel Flower Hour or something. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Cause he, his, his business is a, a, a flower mill. Flower, yeah. yeah. But the way he talks to his son and, and, and beats up his uh, political yeah. advisors, it's just, yep. the writing is so sharp. Mm-hmm. Really sharp. Yeah, and the series of stories, you can really see that, like the style they tell and you can see the influence of the Odyssey. Because mm-hmm. like you said, it's not just all these separate things that happen. It's like, yeah. all right, we're moving along. And then this happened. And then this happened to me. And yep. then this, and then this. And then we reconnected with these people. And- yep. And the directing is wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So much of it is physical comedy and all the actors do such a good job really selling their parts. Um, George Clooney and John Turturro and, yeah. you know, Tim Blake Nelson, they're all so good at, you know, really leaning into those character moments. Yep. I, I It's like always fun to see how the Coen brothers will utilize um, John Goodman and John Turturro yeah. in a movie. Cause they've, they've played such a range mm-hmm. of characters in their films. And it's like always a joy when they show up or like a terror with John Goodman. And yeah. Yeah. he's very menacing. Just a really, really well-made film. Man. Yeah. We like to finish up our show today with a game that we're calling killer soundtrack. We're going to see how well both of you know the music of famous movies. Josh, you're playing against Susan. So here are the rules. I'm going to name popular songs featured in well-known films. As soon as you know the movie, shout it out. If you're wrong, the other person will get a chance to guess. And if they're not right, I'll keep naming songs. I have five movies for you to identify. And the first person to correctly identify three wins our prize. Susan, what's our prize? It's gonna be some kind of merch. Cool. We'll send you something fun. Yeah. Great. If I win, otherwise Susan gets to keep it. Right. Unless I win. That's right. Okay. Here we go. Are you guys ready? Yes. Yes. All right. Your first movie song is "That's the Way," in quotes. I like it by the Spin Doctors. Any guesses? Okay. Next song: "The Winner" by Coolio. Is this? Cool Runnings. It is not, but great guess. <laughs> okay. You're in the right headspace. Okay. Okay. Next, Upside Down by Salt and Peppa. All right. It's going to get a little bit easier now. Fly Like an Eagle by Seal. Oh, is this Space Jam? Space Jam is correct. Oh, yeah. Susan gets a point. The final wow. song was Space Jam by the Quad City DJs. Sure. Good job. Susan has one point yeah. for Space Jam. Wow. All right. <laughs> next one. Bedtime by Alan Menken. Hmm. Fathom Below by the Studio Chorus. Next song, Part of Your World by Joe. Oh, The Penn. Little Mermaid. The Little Mermaid oh, is man. correct. Good job, Josh. You have a oh, point. Fathoms. That makes sense. All right. The other songs were Kiss the Girl by okay. Samuel E. Wright and Under the Sea by Alan Menken and Samuel W. Wright. All right. So one and one. Next movie. First song is Stay by Maurice Williams and the Zodiacs. Uh, Next song is Love is Strange by Mickey and Sylvia. That's okay, they're getting easier (laughs) now. In the Still of the Night. I don't know who that's by, I forgot to write it down. Next song, Mm -hmm. Be My Baby by the Ronettes. Okay, the last song is gonna give it away. I know all these songs. So be ready. Okay. The Time of My Life by Bill Medley. Um, Dirty Dancing. Dirty Dancing is correct. Susan got the point. I was going to say Flashdance, but that was the wrong one. Yeah. Same. I know. Genre. Yeah, that's right. So Susan has two. Two, one. Josh has one point. Come on, Josh. Get back in it. (laughs) All right. Next song. You Should Be Dancing by the Bee Gees. Saturday Night Fever. 
That is correct. Oh, nice. Off the first song. Good job. I think I've seen that movie. Oh, wow. Yeah, the other songs are Disco Inferno, Boogie Nights, Night Fever, and Staying Alive. Very good. Two to two, guys. Very exciting. Coming down to the last movie. Are you ready? Do you have a tiebreaker? Oh, no. This is the tiebreaker. Yep. One of us. Hopefully one of us will get it. (laughs) I think you'll get it. All right. Ready? Here we go. Spirit in the Sky by Norman Greenbaum. Forrest Gump. I'm sorry. That's not correct. Ah. But... Susan, you get to guess. If you're wrong, we'll continue. Yes, I was thinking Forrest Gump. Jesus. <laughs> no, <laughs> I can like picture that scene. Uh, that song is featured in many, many yeah. movies. Yeah. So that's why I started with yep. it. All right, next one. Ooh, Ooh, Child by the Five Stair Steps. All right, next one. Cherry Bomb by the Runaways. That's another one that's in a lot of stuff. Yeah. 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 All right, next one. We got two more songs. Okay. Ain't No Mountain High Enough by Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell. I feel like I can picture the scene. Finally, Hooked on a Feeling by Blue Suede and Bjorn Skiffs. I don't know. All right. Uh, I'm going to give you some additional clues to get this last one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this is a very popular movie from the last 15 years. Okay. (laughs) Um, It is by a major movie studio. And this was different from the other movies made by the studio because of their throwback soundtrack oh guardians of the galaxy that is correct josh oh, you've won it. well done thank you congratulations yep. hooked <laughs> on a f- yes <laughs> yep they're all yeah they're all that's yeah, the point of the movie so many movies yeah and yep. they're all very popular that was a good one that was tricky yeah josh before we let you go today would you like mm-hmm. to plug anything sure i have a podcast called make my day it's very fun silly it's weekly uh, Jesus and Marrow Sundays and Thursdays at 11. We were back. We're on hiatus for a couple weeks, but we're back in June. And then, um, but in our places on Sunday nights is Z-Way, uh, yeah. Z-Way's show. So that's great. And I'll plug that. And then my book, Nice Try, Stories of Best Intentions and Mixed Results. Yeah, I think that's that's more than enough. If, you, <laughs> if you've exhausted all those things, you're my biggest fan. So thank you. <laughs> awesome. Well, fantastic. Yeah, well, thank you so much for joining us. We really, thank really Thank you for having it. me. It was a lot of fun. This is a pleasure. Life in the Credits is hosted and produced by me, Susan Swarner. And me, Ben Bloom. It's executive produced by Michelle Levin. The music is written and performed by Steve Trowbridge. You can hear more of Steve's music at TrowbridgeSounds.com. The show logo is created by Melissa Durkin. If you'd like to support Life in the Credits and get access to exclusive perks, you can do so at Patreon.com. If you'd like to follow or get a hold of us, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Life in the Credits or shoot us an email at LifeInTheCredits at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We thought you was a toad. toad. Yeah. (laughs)